Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, welcome to Out of the Blue, the podcast best compared to the milk left over after a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch. That or black tar heroin shot directly into your ears. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, also of mazeandbrew.com. Andy, you medieval plague doctor in a modern time. How the hell are you, sir? Another timeless introduction. I'm well, my friend. I am well. How are you? You know, I'm doing well myself. I'm here for the introductions and for the completely off-the-wall comments. We've got some good stuff to cover tonight before we get into it. Uh, I want to know, what are you watching? You you keeping up on the finals? Any movies that you're seeing? What TV shows are keeping you occupied here in these down months? Um, hockey, NBA Finals, Black Mirror, and uh, Guys Grocery Games, of course. But um, mostly Black Mirror right now. New season comes out on Wednesday of this week, so... That and watching the Warriors win another title. So, you know, life is – it gives and it takes. What's better, watching the Warriors win another title or guys' grocery games? Don't you ever besmirch the good name of Triple G again. <laughs> no one calls it that. No one yes, even knows what that is. Yes, everyone calls it Triple T. And what's diners, diners, drive-ins, and dives? Triple D. Oh, wow. Well, I'm learning so much. This is why we bring you around. Uh, I do love the Black Mirror, though. Top three episodes of Black Mirror. Go. Uh, San Junipero, um, Entire History of You, and the Dom Hall Gleason episode. I forget what it's called, but those three. Oh, yeah, where he's the robotic copy of himself? 
Yep. Yeah, that's a really good one. Uh, throw in hated in the nation, the one with the the bees, and I'm in. Bees. Bees. Yeah. We'll see who gets more honey. <laughs> Uh, all right, yeah, very good. I'm keeping myself uh, occupied with very similar things there. Rewatching Westworld, getting ready for season three. Uh, it's kind of a dark time in, in television right now. Thinking about starting that Chernobyl show, but nothing, nothing too exciting for me. It's, uh, it's basically all nose to the grindstone. Get through the summer, try and force myself to go outside and be productive until Michigan football's back. I'm constantly torn between like, do I want to have water in my apartment or do I want to pay for HBO now? So I'm weighing the options here. And that's tough. That's tough. Now that Game of Thrones is over, I think that you can probably hydrate yourself. Yeah. I, I mean, I like I live in West Virginia, so shitting in the woods is new. <laughs> it's not uncommon. In fact, I think it's encouraged. Exactly. So it's like, yeah, I, I can live without water. My wife will be all right. Yeah. Shower in the river. Yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> Just get some sani wipes for your face every once a week and... Shit, you'd be cleaner than most West Virginians. We call those leaves, friend. <laughs> <laughs> friend, none of your fancy sani wipes. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, let's get into it here. We do have some news. We got some stuff to talk about, mostly on the football scene. But I first want to talk. Jawan Howard's made some assistant coaching hires. He's retained Seti Washington, um, the St. Joe's coach who was recently let go. Um, what is his name? Whatever his name is, he's been hired. Phil, Martin, Martinelli, Phil Martinelli. Phil Martinelli, that's right. Yeah, he was he was fired two years ago. I think that's a pretty solid hire, though. Kind of forgot about him um, after a year off. Wasn't a guy we were really thinking about, but uh, brings some much-needed experience to the team. I like that hire, and I love keeping Sadie Washington on the staff. Outside of the name, like, Art Bryles, what's, like, a bad assistant coach hire, though? Like, I've never seen so much chatter of assistant coach hires. I mean, like, sure, it's fun. Guys got experience, you know. He seems to have decent head on his shoulders. But it's like, okay, like it could be a completely off the wall pick, but he could, you know, be a good recruiter or something. I feel like it's a little like these assistant coaches to me have been a little overblown. Like it's nice that it seems like we're have some continuity with Washington back, but it's like it's assistant coach in basketball. Like let's let's settle down a little bit. It's very true. I remember thinking that the Doug Nussmeyer hire was going to turn the Michigan program around. So I think we always it's very easy to get excited about an assistant coach because they're coming from a situation that was obviously a good situation. You never get assistant coaches coming from like, Oh, we're going to bring over the Rutgers offensive coordinator. Like it's, it's always somebody coming from Alabama or Clemson. You're like, well, look at what they did there. So it's very easy to get excited about them. Um, but I do think that just as far as a locker room presence, uh, that, that he's a, a good addition. Yeah. That's fine with that. I mean, it's not like they're going to like advertise like, Hey, we got the guy that used to book prostitutes in Louisville. We're going to put him at the end of the bench, let him count timeouts. Right. <laughs> Although, if you did advertise that, I'd have no problem with it. No, I mean, you know, you either, you know, get with it or you get left behind. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, it sounded like we're going to get a Fab Five reunion. We might get the banners back up. That's noteworthy. Are you for, against, no opinion? Uh, I'm for the Fab Five. I'm anti Chris Weber, though. Yeah, I'm not a big Chris Webber guy either. I mean, he's just said too many disparaging comments about the university at this point. Like, it's just not a very Michigan man thing. I don't get the vibe that he is a Michigan man, even though I went to the University of Colorado. I still like that whole Michigan man thing. I buy into it. So, at the same time, it'd be very cool. Get the banners back together. Probably won't hurt recruiting. Yeah, not at all. And uh, Bill Simmons on his podcast this week called Michigan for neutral college basketball fans, um, America's team. <laughs> I love it. If Bill Simmons says it, it's gospel. Give it to me. And it's like uh, Jalen Rose is out there preaching it, and I'm all for anything Jalen Rose does. If Chris Webber comes back and can mend fences, that's, oh, that's 
but fine. I'm okay with that. Yeah. But it's like, nah, you're still an asshole. Yes. It'll be interesting to see what kind of identity this team takes on because the Fab Five was almost like a villainous role. But then under Beeline, they were very clean-cut, underdog, scrappy guys that were not super highly recruited. Um, you did have the the children of two NBA All-Stars and Tim Hardaway Jr. and Glenn Robinson um, play there. But at the same time, like that didn't get a lot of fanfare. And I don't know, it would be interesting to see under Juwan Howard how this team is viewed, if they're still kind of that underdog, scrappy team, or if now they're going to be like one of the big dogs. I don't know. I'm kind of for a mix of both. Like, I hope there's some edge to them. Like, you know, yeah. always like, you know, the beeline grandfatherly thing, like by the rules, by the book, we do it the right way. But, you know, you and I are often quite fond of, you know, the shit talking, bad boys, we're going to piss everybody off and we're going to sit here and eat our popcorn. You're damn straight we will. We're going to do a whole podcast on best villains and Iggy Brasdakis, even though he was never in a movie, he's going to make the list. Absolutely. Like, why hasn't he been cast in, like, Triple X, like, six or something? That's what I'm saying. Like, it's. It'd be perfect. Yeah, he'd be. (laughs) I'm sure there's another Expendables coming out. Throw him in there. Yeah, it's like, um, but, but, sir, I'm from Canada. It's okay. Bosnia. Same place. Same next door. (laughs) If it's not America, it's the same place. Exactly. It's over there in Europe. Yeah, it's fine. You you be from over there. Speak with an accent. Don't try that hard. Speak with an accent. People don't even care. I mean, John Malkovich, Rounders, go ahead. In movies where people are playing Russian, sometimes they have them speak in British accents just because it's an accent and that's good enough for some people, so. It doesn't have, you don't have to nail it. Sometimes just be yourself. It's fine. Jack Nicholson's Jack Nicholson in The Departed and it's great. And I'm saying that as the man holds a dildo in the movie. So, Yeah. He sure does. free creative reign. <laughs> he sure does. Um, yeah, I absolutely love it. So we'll see where uh, we're see, we'll see where that goes. But the other big news to come out, and this is probably the biggest news of the offseason thus far uh, in football, and that is that Chris Evans will be done for the season, remains committed to Michigan for 2020, but we cannot expect him in the lineup this season. Thoughts? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Well said. They don't call him the best color man in the game for nothing, folks. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a blow. I mean, there's health issues already in spring ball. So right now the picture is, assuming everyone is healthy in the fall, True Wilson, Christian Turner, Charbonnet, uh, the submarine of Ben, and Hassan Haskins. So it's like we're limiting our options here, but um, I think if there's going to be continued success, it has to be run by committee. We can't run Karan Higdon into the ground like the last season was because he was worn down by Ohio State. Yep. I mean, that was just, I mean, there's no argument there. Absolutely. But it has to be True Wilson, Christian Turner, Charbonnet primarily splitting carries almost down the middle, see if one emerges, then maybe split up the carries like 60-20-20 or something like that. It absolutely has to be that way. I think it will be that way. And, uh, I mean, we've talked about the running back position, I think, in every pod. Since uh, you know, since we started back up, that we were concerned about it, we were both hopeful Evans would be back. This is a major blow, a major blow. That's your starting running back. If he's back and healthy, that's your starter. There's no question about that in my mind. Um, I, I know we all love True Wilson. His name's super fun to chant. But if that's who we're trotting out there as our best option at running back, and other people are trotting out Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins, I'm sorry, people like. That is not a good sign for this Michigan offense. I know you know we have we're loaded at the wide receiver group. We need to be able to run the ball. We need to have two. I prefer three good running backs. Uh, and I love True Wilson. I love his grit. I love his toughness. I uh, do not love his ceiling. I'm fair with that. I feel like we know what we're going to get with True Wilson. He uh, reminds me of uh, a comp 
to a quarterback of Jake Browning at Washington. Like he was fine. He was fine his whole career, but you knew what his ceiling was. Like the floor was high, the ceiling was low, and he's right there in that middle tier. That's all Jake Browning was for three years there in Washington. I'm so. here for the true Wilson to somehow Jake Browning comparisons. I was not expecting that. You're welcome. <laughs> like true Wilson is like the Jimmy Johns of running backs. Like, yeah, yeah he, you'll eat he's it. A stub. Yeah, it's like you'll eat it, but it's like it's not warm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's an interesting comp, but. Yeah, it's very difficult for me to get too excited about True Wilson because I don't think he's going to take some monumental leap. I think that we've seen, I mean, we've seen his max speed. We've seen his max agility. Um, he's already a, a tremendous uh, pass blocker. Um, and he's he's going to be in there just because of that and like how smart he is. And he's very reliable. And you know he'll get north and south and he'll probably get you three yards. And maybe that's all we need this year is a guy that can just get north and south and get you three yards. But I think your Christian Turner love, I mean, I think that is now more, it's not just like, oh, that would be nice. Like, that that would be a nice little cherry on the top. I think that's now necessary. Christian Turner's got to take a big leap, like, today. Yes, and he's got to be healthy. That's the big thing. He's got to be healthy. Um, I really hope he's the starter day one. It wouldn't surprise me the way Hardball's played uh, his cards really close to the chest. See True Wilson trotted out there day one. Yeah. And then see Turner and Charbonnet work their way up through there. I mean, it's not uncommon. I'm very interested to see uh, Gaddis's influence in the offense and who starts at running back. Because Chris Evans was tailor-made for this offense. This is such a missed opportunity. Dude. I'm looking to see whoever's going to seize it from him. You, you hit the nail on the head there. And, I mean, how often did we preach last season that we need to get Chris Evans involved in the passing game? I mean, a guy that shifty should not be run through the A and B gap. Get him no. into space, find a way to get him the ball. I thought he was going to be a cog that made this this offense run this year, honestly, especially as a receiver. That is a devastating blow just as a fan, like because that was going to be fun to watch. Nope. Bright side yeah. is he might be back in 2020. But at that point, we'll have an established Christian Turner, Zach Charbonnet, um, our boy, um, what's his, Giles Jackson will be in. Got to assume we're going to take another running back in this recruiting cycle. Like... Chris Evans might be, I mean, he'll be featured. There's no way you keep Chris Evans off the field, but uh, damn it, Chris Evans. Why did you have to cheat on a test for God's sakes? It would have never got like official word of what exactly it was, but all signs point to that. Yeah. It's like, it's with the university. He made a mistake. It's like, oh, you made a mistake, but you're suspended from the university for a year. A year seems harsh, and like I know we're trying to run a clean organization there, but doesn't I told that to my mom, who's a, a school teacher and an administrator, and she's like, a year seems harsh for cheating. Like, like well, it's the collegiate level, like it's University of Michigan, like they take that shit seriously, but a year does seem rough. Yeah, just to look up like other. Like- comparable suspensions in colleges like what play what people get suspended for just not even athletes and just see if there's any kind of correlation there but yeah a whole year even after he wrote like them an eight page handwritten letter of like please let me come back to football i really don't want to work for uh uber eats anymore and all this shit it's like I feel bad for the kid but obviously he made more than a mistake i mean it was something substantial I guess. I mean, but if it's just getting caught cheating on a test, like I've had teachers tell me if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Like the fact of the matter is like you're never going to go into a job and not have the answers available to you. That's just the world we live in now. Like I don't see cheating on a test as a, hey, your future's now compromised. Like that was this kid's future. 
Like, and I get it. Like, we want to run a clean program and anything. But I cheated on tests. I found a way to write that shit on a little label on my water bottle. I folded the, the, the label around the bottle, opened it up during the test, got all my formulas written there. It was great. Sorry, Thank University you. of Colorado. I was about to say, it's like spoken like a true Colorado. <laughs> you, um, don't, you don't know anything about us. <laughs> you don't know who I am. This is interesting. Um, academic suspension is an official notification that a student has earned a semester GPA of less than two while on academic warning. If after oh. two suspensions the student fails to achieve at least a 2.0 GPA, the student is subject to academic dismissal. So it could be just like, repeti like repetitive failure. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then yeah, if you can't make the grades, you can't make the grades. There's not much you can do about that. I, I kind of wonder, and I, I don't really know many other examples outside of this, but has the University of Michigan's very stringent academic reputation, uh, has that cost Michigan wins? I mean, you know it hurts in recruiting. Some kids just can't make the grades that can go to Alabama. Like, you can get in Alabama, you can't get into Michigan. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. Like, I mean, kids there are dumb. I don't know. What, like, look at the statistics. <laughs> Good people of Tuscaloosa. <laughs> They're not listening. Josh LaFond, he's from Alabama. He lives there, doesn't he? He very well may. LaFond, get back to us. Are we wrong here? <laughs> Give us a rundown of, you know, what you think the average IQ of people in Alabama is. Um, but no, that's a good point. People used to always bring it up with North Carolina, like their basketball team. Like, this is a pretty good academic institution. Then you figured out the whole school was cheating for them. Yes. Yes. Something <laughs> so didn't There's a give up. and take there. So I wonder, I guarantee it's had to affect them. Yes, it absolutely has. I mean, there's certain recruits, and I'm trying to think back. There was a kid that couldn't make the grades not too long ago. Um, it'll, I'm sure it'll come back to me later in the podcast, but yeah, we've definitely lost some kids due to not being able to make the grades and some kids just couldn't get in that we were high on and we've had to stop recruiting players because we knew they couldn't make the grades there. So the fact that we are a, a notch above Ohio state, as far as academic precedence, I think that it absolutely hurts us as far as on the football field. Like I, I think that we can't quite get those recruits and it's, I don't know. It, it's something worth mentioning. It's not something that I see changing. I don't want to use it as an excuse because Notre Dame just made it to the uh, college football playoff last year. They're also a very good academic university. Stanford's had some success. Um, so the, it's not an excuse, but to say that it doesn't impact recruiting and the players that we get on the field at the end of the day, I mean, not everyone can play at Michigan. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and to your point, uh, defensive end Deron Irving Bay, remember him before yes. he transferred to CMU? Whom? He was, yeah, exactly. He was d academically dismissed from Central Michigan. So fire up chips. He couldn't cut it there. So I guarantee he was struggling in Ann Arbor. Yeah, something. Wow. Yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right about that. Like, I'm going to the Uni Miami University of Ohio right now for a master's program, and I'm not going to lie, it's not that hard, so I know what Central Michigan has to offer. Like, it's doable. <laughs> the Red Hawks, right? The Red so Hawks. You're, so you're a Red Hawk right now? Yeah, I'm a Bowling Green Falcon, a Colorado Buffalo, and a Miami Red Hawk. I also went to Florida State briefly for a year. I'm all over the map. The man will go to any institution and does not kick him out, but he will maintain a higher GPA than Chris Evans. <laughs> I refuse to. <laughs> There's no need. Stupid. How, how was your time in Tallahassee? Uh, I wasn't in Tallahassee. I was in Jacksonville at a satellite campus. How's that? It, I mean, it's the South. What do you expect? It's a goddamn mess down there. <laughs> Florida doesn't have any rules. 
It's the basement of America. It's yeah. like our Australia. It's, it's where all, yeah, it is our Australia. It's where all the outcasts end up. No one's from Florida. I didn't meet a Florida native my entire time there. So, yeah, it's you not for me. You sell pharmaceutical supplies whenever our podcast gets shut down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's good to know we've got something to fall back on. <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, so we're way off topic now, but uh, what this means for the season, and we still don't know the status of Zach Charbonnet, uh, but basically expect to see some guys that you didn't anticipate seeing. We're probably going to see Hassan Haskins now. Has he officially moved back to running back? Yes, I uh, got moved back in the spring. By ne- out of necessity. That's not a good thing, people. Like the fact that we're having to move guys back on the other side of the ball to one of the most prominent positions on the offense that Harbaugh has notoriously used and used and used. Gaddis is going to change some of that, but, I mean, Charbonnet better be an absolute stud. Charbonnet better be able to contribute snaps. And if he can't get on the field, we are, we're fucked. (laughs) I'm just going to say it. Like, we're fucked. If Charbonnet can't get on the field this year, I mean, we're basically saying, well, Christian Wilson, or Christian Turner and uh, True Wilson, I hope that you can carry the load for an entire season, just the two of you. Yeah, it's, it's it's getting bleak. There's no need to sugarcoat it. Um, here's another running back on the roster. We need to play a game like where you just go through the roster, and I tell you, ask you, is this person on the roster? I throw two names at you. Um, Julian Garrett, uh, sophomore from Centerville, Virginia, was named Scout Team Offensive Player of the Week last year, and rec- recognized as the Scout Team Special uh, Special Teams Player of the Week before Penn State. Did not see game action. <laughs> You're bringing up scout team players that won it once a week last year that no one's ever heard. Where did you even dig up this information? Uh, dug really far deep on the Go Blue <laughs> website. The he's got, web? Uh, uh, Julian Garrett, I mean, see, I hope he's a good kid. His, uh, his portrait here is not the most flattering picture. He can do better. Um, let's see. What other stats do he have here? He participated in the Nike, the opening regional in Washington, D.C. Won a hot dog eating contest in 2016. <laughs> yeah, it's like he won a spelling bee, spelling funeral in, at age six. Great. We're saved by whoever the <laughs> hell this guy is. No, we're toast, man. The Big Ten is loaded. Our schedule is loaded with guys that can run the ball. We're going to face some great running backs. We're going to face some stout defensive lines. And I love True Wilson as much as the next guy, but if that's our best option to beat a guy one-on-one, he's not going to beat a lot of the linebackers in the Big Ten. I'm just being real with you. All right. If you don't want him, then how about Jared Char? He's a senior that shares your name. He's at least appeared in one game. Jared Char? (laughs) Yeah, that's a real name. That's a made-up name. No, that's not a real person. Next. It's like it's like his last name just like cut off. Like I was gonna say someone gave up like in the middle yeah. of naming him. And that was it. It's like all right, whatever. Yeah, we're talking about wild names there. It's like all right, hear me out. What about um, Charbonnet? Nah, 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 just Char. Whatever. Let's oh, go. Oh my God, Jared. There's a guy. He's number forty nine. He's five eleven, buck eighty, running back from California. He switched to running back from defensive back in the spring. His name is Lucas. Andraghetto. That's our guy. Yeah, I mean, that's the savior, right? His last name is Andraghetto. Like, this, how have we overlooked this man? <laughs> Andre Ghetto? Like, that is... Yeah, exactly. That's a pretty dope last name, but... Uh, you've Listen d- to you've... these high school stats. He rushed the ball for 362 yards his senior season. <laughs> oh, perfect. 362 were saved. 
we can, if we can count on half of that for over the season, why that's all we'll need. Tariq Black's going to have uh, 2,000 yards receiving this year, luckily, so we're fine. One thing that will help this um, team, no matter who's running the ball, even if it's our man Andrew Ghetto, um, last season our offensive line saved the running game under head coach Ed Werner. They allowed only 58 negative rushing yards all season. I mean, that is just outstanding. That was the lowest of the Harbaugh era, one of the highest in the country. So no matter who's back there, we're not going backwards very often. As long as we have a body, can stay somewhat healthy, um, I think we'll be okay. But if we have somebody emerge like Zach Charbonnet, we're gonna, not going to miss a beat. I, I like it, and I like the transition there because, yes, our offensive line is going to open up some holes. So even guys like True Wilson, True Wilson could have an 800-yard season behind that offensive line. Easy. He could go for 1,000. It's theoretically possible. He might need to pat some stats against Middle Tennessee and Army. Uh, and Army's no joke, but they do. we'll get into that in a minute. They do lose a lot on the, on the front seven. But um, I think it's Christian Turner and Charbonnet. Like, you're watching those guys like a hawk um, because if either one can emerge, and we saw glimpses of Turner, so that's kind of where I think, you know, you were already leaning there. Now I'm, I'm full lean. I'm fully on board. Um, we've got to be watching him like a hawk. Um, but you're right. The offensive line is going to open up holes. I can't remember a bigger jump of a position group than Ed Werner's influence last year. And I can't remember a bigger jump of an individual than John Runyon last year. Can you remember a one year jump of a player that was like, who is this guy? And then the next year he's an all big 10 performer in your history of watching Michigan. Can you name another guy like that? Not the leap Runyon took, especially just from Runyon from Notre Dame to Runyon the rest of the season. Like He just got better. And when I said first-team All-Big Ten at left tackle at the premier offensive line position. That's what I'm and saying. And he's undersized. Yeah, he's undersized. He's probably playing out of position, probably better suited at right tackle or even at guard. But yeah. John Runyon's going to get himself paid. And uh, he better you know, at least take Ed Werner out to dinner because that's a big part of that. So there's definitely going to be holes. Um, as far as players that have taken that big of a one-year jump, Jake Rudock's about the only one, and that's coming from a different school, different system. Like, So I can't think of a one-year jump that was that big. Um, I mean, that was, that was just incredible. Uh, I've got a random question for you because we always like to go back to the 2016 team whenever possible. God, those were good times. Uh, you can add one player to this team, Channing Stribling, Ch- Channing Stribling Ben Gideon, or Davion Smith. Who are you adding for this oh, ben season? Ben Gideon, linebackers. Yeah. I, Going I, right to the linebackers, I think Gideon imme- immediately contributes. Um, Davion Smith is like, I feel like he's a, that's a real safe pick there. Uh, Channing Stribling can't tackle. We already have um, a secondary that can't tackle. So <laughs> I don't need him there. He's great in coverage, but no, this isn't his kind of team. Um, but yeah, said, uh, Davion Smith would be great for pass blocking, but this isn't the offense he's going to excel in. He, his offense was a 2016 one, hand the ball, pound, pound, pound. Um, uh, but Ben Gideon here solidifies the linebackers next to Josh Ross, adds some leadership and doesn't make us, uh, have to rely on rotations of Jordan Anthony and Cameron McGrown quite yet. I like it. That's probably my pick as well. I labored hard on it because Davion Smith, like now I'm super concerned about the running back position, obviously, but we haven't seen what we're going to get from Turner and Charbonnet or maybe Giles Jackson. Like Giles Jackson now is a guy that should probably expect to get the ball a couple times this year. It's probably going to happen. And Davion Smith, but he's just not that big of an upgrade from True Wilson athletically. Like, I don't think he's going to add that much more pop in the running game. Now, he can, he can run through tackles like a beast. Like, I love that about Davion Smith. But like you said, that's not necessarily going to be this offense. But 
man, it would be good to have another body in there that we can count on because right now, like, we're one injury away from that position being in shambles. Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, Andre Ghetto might see some time, and it's going to be really <laughs> scary. Andre um, Davion Smith had some brilliant moments and then just some, like, lapses. But, like, anytime you talk about him breaking tackles, of course – Go back to BYU. BYU. When that touchdown still it makes no sense. No, he emerged from a different dimension to score that touchdown. Yep. Ran over every person from Brigham Young University on his way there. Every Mormon within five miles got run over, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, absolutely. And by proxy, their eleven children all felt it. Yeah. Welcome to Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So running back position, I mean, it's something we'll we'll be talking about. Um all off season, I'm sure, and uh, really excited now to get into fall camp. Just give us a little, give us something that says Charbonnet's progress, even if it's not happening. Just throw us a tidbit. Christian Turner's really starting to turn heads. Just throw me that, just to placate me for the off season, and I'd be, I'd be good. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm really excited to watch Zach Charbonnet, like him just going over like some hurdle drills or like a little ladder on the floor, just so we can start the hype train rolling already. Yeah, I'm ready I'm, for that. I'm ready for it too. But the you haven't heard a thing. He hasn't really seen the field. Haven't heard anything about Christian Turner from you know spring ball. The uh, the spring game didn't offer us much, and I don't think was he even suited up for the spring game. No, I don't, I don't remember seeing him. Yeah, so I mean we're in a we're in a state right now. We're just like uh, whatever his name the. Uh, the, the mafioso, the son of a mafioso lord from Boston, and Andre Ghetto might be yeah. might be running the ball for us. It might be Ghetto. I'm going to go into the submarine back to maybe just Ben Mason 30 times a game. I mean, honestly, he could take it. I mean, he's essentially the juggernaut. <laughs> exactly. But one thing Josh Gaddis' offense might do um, to kind of mitigate this loss is run a lot of like swing passes with receivers, like you talked about Giles Jackson, which will feel like that'll be the equivalent of just running the ball up the middle. So it's like you get your you get speed and space that way. So it's like, you know, you're not handing it off right up the middle, but maybe you're running Charbonnet to this side, catch a pass. You're running Giles Jackson to this side, catch a pass. Same or Strill. You're getting people moved in short passes, safe passes, and that way you do it. Yeah. I will just say this. It's very inconvenient because uh, I've started doing this every year since 2016 where I simulate on NCAA 2014, the last uh, the last year that the game was available, I try and get all of our opponents, you know, as, as accurate as possible, and I simulate the season. And uh, Chris Evans was was doing really well for me. Now i got to start the whole damn season over again without Chris Evans. So I'm, I'm really upset by that. I wish he, uh, I don't know, just studied a little more. Yeah, it's not. So maybe we can go to Ann Arbor sometime and, like, get, order some food. Maybe he'll drop it off. We can have a, bring him on the pod. I mean, he'll get through the crowd very shiftily and quickly, so I imagine that our food service will be prompt. Yeah, as long as it's not like a line of people he has to run in between, we're okay. That's fine, but that's not what he's there for. Get him under the outside. Get him around that crowd. Get, use that Just drive speed. around the traffic. Avoid the traffic, Chris. Yeah, look, I know this is a Jimmy John's, but there are alleyways. There are points of egress. Like, you got you to gotta find him. Let's go, boy. <laughs> we need Jimmy John's as a sponsor. Do we? <laughs> Pretty sure their owner is like a uh, a big game hunter and a giant douchebag. Just a big, fat, white guy with nothing to offer. Probably small penis. Really? I think so. I don't know. I'm speculating wildly. 
I can speculate wildly on the owner or the CEO of Chick-fil-A and the food's still damn delicious. <laughs> Very good point as always, my friend. But on that note, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to break down our next opponent. Uh, not even a sneaky tough opponent, a difficult opponent in Army. Uh, coming off an absolute beatdown, 10-win uh, season, 11-win season. Unreasonable. Um, we're going to get into that when we get back right after this. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Back on Out of the Blue, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about our next opponent, doing our opponent series, breaking them down week by week. And the second opponent on Michigan's schedule is not an easy one. It is the Army Black Knights. And they finished 11-2, smacked Houston in the bowl game, 70-14 in the Armed Forces Bowl. Uh, I was able to watch some highlights of this team. This is going to be, without a doubt, the most interesting matchup of the season. Uh, let's get into it. What are your thoughts on this matchup? Well, firstly, lest we forget that before we hired Josh Gaddis, I was all for us running the triple option because it couldn't have been worse than what we ran in the bowl game. Um, this team scares me. It frightens me. Um, this feel like this could be a grind-them-out kind of game. Um, they dominated possession when they played Oklahoma last season. The game went to overtime. They outpossessed them 44, almost 45 minutes to 15 minutes. I've, it's absurd. It's crazy that it even went to OT. Yeah, I mean, they just dominated the game up and down the field. And I feel like we could see something similar. Like, I could see them holding on to the ball and grinding us a little bit. Uh, granted, Michigan's defense is better than a Big 12 defense, even losing Devin Bush and others. But, um, look, this team wants to take you to third and fourth down. They don't, they're not a big play team. They just want to wear you out. And if they put together some long drives in the first and second quarter, I'm going to be very nervous because uh, one thing Michigan's defense hasn't been able to show uh, in recent memory is um, endurance. Cramps were a constant battle last season. They wear down against certain teams. So I'm nervous for this game. This game really scares me. Yeah, I mean, it's not even a trap game. This is a difficult game. Um, Army will likely be ranked coming into this after last season. They do lose some guys, but they bring back the most important position and that's quarterback Kelvin Hopkins Jr. 
Uh, was able to watch the bowl game highlights of him in Houston. This dude's legit. Um, he's fast. He's shifty. Um, and you couple that with that, uh, that offense that they run. And, he, I mean, he can throw the ball. It, don't expect to see it a lot. I mean, it's a triple option offense. But he can throw the ball. And uh, <laughs> you're absolutely right, man. There's no reason not to be worried about this, especially since they're going to try and grind the clock. And if we try and, you know, mitigate that and, and maybe grind some clock ourselves, oh, yeah, we don't really have a great running back room for that. Um, so this is going to have to be a game where we're going to need to outscore them. Our defense is the biggest question mark, I mean, of, of defense, offense, special teams. Defense is the biggest question mark by far. We don't really know what we're going to get. We assume it's going to be a quality product because of the recruits and Don Brown. But when you're replacing what we've got, I mean, I have no idea how this is going to go. Is Mike Dwanfor going to be on the field? Like, is Jordan Anthony going to be in there? Like, I mean, what's going to be going on? Who's going to be playing? Who fills out these positions? Are they ready to go? Are they settled into their positions? Do they know the scheme? Do they know, like, what they've got to do when Army starts running these outlandish, like, borderline comical plays? Like, I don't know, man. This could be a game where we need to score 40 points to win. Yeah, it very well could be. Uh, but with that said, I don't think Army will slow down Michigan. I'm just concerned about getting the ball away from them. They're not a good field goal kicking team. They're not a good punting team. I said they're just going to grind the clock. Um, the last time Michigan played a triple option team was just two years ago. Um, in 2017, they played Air Force. And as remember, that was a grinder. Michigan sure was. was up only 9-6 to six at halftime. Uh, went on the win 29-13, but that game felt a lot closer and that was a down Michigan team, but that was a 5-7 and seven Air Force team as well. So they, they came in to Ann Arbor in early September and gave us their best shot. Um, this Army team, I expect something similar. I think it could be close early, especially if they're going to try to hold on to the ball a lot. I think this Michigan defense, and especially the explosiveness of this offense we're presuming, um, I think it's going to be a little too much for the Golden Knights to pull it off. The Golden Knights, not the Black oh, Knights. sorry. Black Knights, you're right. <laughs> I've watched too much hockey recently. We need to be watching more Independence Day. The Black Knights shall emerge victorious once again. I can always count on you for 90s action references. Absolutely. I'm good for that and almost nothing else. Uh, <laughs> maybe some outlandish Michigan takes. But I'm glad you brought up Air Force. A down Michigan team, totally different team coming in here, especially since we don't know what kind of offense we're going to have. I mean, we, we've seen what Gaddis has done at Alabama. Uh, but we haven't seen it at Michigan. We don't really know what this is going to look like. So this is kind of a difficult one to predict. Um, but with these grinded out games, like, I am not a fan of them. Because all it takes is one interception or one wonky play, and all of a sudden you're playing from behind the eight ball, and you're trying to play catch up on a team like this where you've got to have some big plays. And we have the weapons for big plays, don't get me wrong. But we're going to need some in this game. We're going to need a couple. Like, we need to count on putting some points up on the board. I'm saying at least in the 30s, 35 points, because they're going to score. Like, I'm sorry, this defense, it could really exceed expectations, especially early in the season. It's deep at a lot of positions, but unproven everywhere. There's going to be some leaks. This is the second game of the season. There's going to be some mistakes. Army is going to score the ball. We have got to get some big plays. Like, this is the game I want to see Gaddis unleashed. I want to see Gaddis and those wide receivers absolutely unleashed. Like, if you're having trouble running the ball, put in Dylan McCaffrey. I don't give a shit. Like, we've got to find a way to move the ball and get points against this team because they're going to score. Yeah, but what I do love about this game is it's not the first game of the season. We're going to have Middle Tennessee in our belt to shake off the rust, get used to the game again. If this were the first game of the season – 
it would feel like upset Appa- waiting. It's like Appalachian State all over. Yeah, it's an upset it's, waiting to happen. It's exactly what it feels like. So I'm glad this is where it is. This is a tough game for Michigan. I think it's one they need early on. Oh yeah. Um, Michigan has struggled against the triple option. I mean, several times that Air Force game, and even before that. Like, this will be a big game for our defensive ends. We're going to find out where Quiddy Pay and Aiden Hutchinson are fast. Yeah. Because this game is very dependent on them and then how fast our safeties can get up there and to make tackles. One good thing is that I know Army doesn't have anyone physically that compared to Aiden Hut- to compare to Aiden Hutchinson and Quiddy Pay. They've got to be able to set the edge, which is something that Rashawn Gary – and I'm honestly, like, as time goes on and I'm re-watching some more Rashawn Gary stuff and that video came out of – of him at the Michigan State game, which just boils my blood. Um, I'm becoming more of a Rashawn Gary fan, and he set the edge so well that that really helped us against Air Force, and Devin Bush was out of his mind in that game. We don't have that, so you're absolutely right. Pay and Hutchinson are huge in this game. And the other guy that's going to be big in this game is Kalik Hudson. Kalik Hudson needs to be roaming sideline to sideline. He's going to be the guy that's got to get off of a block and chase down whoever's running this ball. I mean, he's excellent at reading the flow of the play, so I think he'll, he'll be a, a guy that's in line for a huge, huge game here, and he's going to need to have it. Um, but it starts up front with Pay and Hutchinson. Um, the secondary, stay disciplined. I mean, you're not going to really get tested too much in this game, I wouldn't imagine, but you're going to have to tackle in this game. You're going to be making tackles. Hill and Thomas, I have no idea if Ambry Thomas can tackle. We'll find out. Yeah, and it's one of the games where you can't fall asleep back there because they may throw three passes in this game, and they could each of those passes could swing the game, could swing everything completely. It would not surprise me to see a linebacking unit of Kalik Hudson, Josh Ross, and um, Gla- uh, Jordan Glasgow out there just that. for lateral speed side to side because Devin Gill isn't the fastest. And this Army team isn't just going to pound the ball down our throats over and over again. They're going to try to get on the edge and use deception and misdirection. I think having Hudson on one side, Glasgow on the other, both reading and trying to make plays outside of those defensive ends could be a big difference. I will say, though, I've rewatched some tape, and Devin Gill, it was just the one play, but then I saw another play where he flashed speed that is deceptive. I think Devin Gill's a little faster. He's faster than Mike McRae, I can promise you that. I think well, he's. Yeah. I think he's a. He's faster than we're giving him credit for. Because I saw a play where him and Bush recognized that the guy was cutting outside at the same time, and he actually beat Bush to the ball. Is he faster than Bush? No way. It was probably he had a step on him or something. But he's he's quick. He's quick enough that I think he could be in the game. But I like that. I could see more Glasgow in this, um, and it'll be interesting to see who's in at safety. If it's Jameric Woods, good tackler, or if it's Dax Hill, speedier guy. I don't know where they'll go that way. And as far as safety position. Yeah, it's a game where <laughs> speed, speed is everything. Because like I said, they're going to try to use lateral quickness, beat us side to side. Um, not like a Maryland approach. It's all about deception in this one. And as anybody knows watching triple option, it can be very frustrating. Oklahoma found out the hard way how tight this game can be and how nerve-wracking it can be. Um, but with that said, uh, do you have a prediction, players of the game? I absolutely do. Um, I think Army is going to... To absolutely test us. They're one of the best fourth down teams because they take all three downs to get it close, and then they converted a very high rate on fourth down. Uh, I think it was 70% last year. I mean, 70% on fourth down, fourth and one. I mean, if you're going to go for it every time with that. Um, so this is a team that's going to come out there, and they're going to try and play that ball control stuff that Michigan's been doing for the last couple of years under Harbaugh, and we're going to come at them with a different approach. Hardest game of the year to predict, I would say. Um, 
And I mean, I mean, it's it's equally hard to predict other games because we don't know what we have at all, really, anywhere. This could end up being a down year, really, because we don't know what we have. Um, but that being said, I think Michigan's talent and the fact that it's at home and the fact that their defense loses quite a bit up front, I don't know how much of a push they're going to be able to get. So I think we're going to be able to run the ball, even if it's true Wilson for three and a half yards at a time. So I think we're going to try and do that, but big plays are going to be the key to this game. Um, I've got Shea Patterson having a big day on offense, and I've got our receivers, I think maybe Nico Collins or Tariq Black here. I, pick, I picked Tariq Black last week, so I'm going to go with Nico Collins this week. Um, but it's, it's, it's going to be Shea Patterson. It's going to have to be Shea Patterson. I could see him doing a lot with his legs. We need to control the ball ourselves. And him picking up some crucial third downs, staying on the ground, keeping the, the chains moving, and keeping the clock running will be big. So I'll, I'll go a combination of Patterson, Nico Collins having a big day on offense. On defense, this is a Kalik Hudson game for me. Um, he's going to have to be the guy. I mean, if, if Hutchinson and Pay are, are setting the edge and holding the edge, he's going to have to get around, uh, take out a blocker, and, and make tackles. And I think he can do that. He's disruptive enough. He's he's plays that Viper position, but he's big enough to play linebacker. He really is. He's a, like a linebacker out there, hybrid safety. Um, I, I think Khalid Hudson's going to have a big, big game. We're talking 10 tackles, three and a half for loss, four, four for loss maybe, something like that. And uh, I see Michigan win in this one, uh, but it, it's it's not going to be easy. I'm going to go something like 35-28. Okay, I like it. Yeah, I think they kind of grind it out towards the end. Um, no, everything you said was true. And um, I, I also, I mean, of course I'm going to go Michigan in this. I don't see him being upset here. I do see it being a close, grinded-out game. But they lose five of their front seven. I mean, that's a big loss. And – I mean, Army obviously doesn't have, like, the wealth of talent that Alabama does, so I think that's really going to hurt them. I I feel like this is going to be a very close game through uh, two and a half quarters. Late third, early fourth, I think Michigan pulls away just a little bit. Um, I go Michigan 41, Army 28. So, far from a blowout, 13 points. Uh, Players of the game, I'm going with Shea Patterson for every point you just touched on. And for a defensive player, I last week went with Cleek Hudson, so I'm going to change it up this week. I'm going to go with the other safety. I'm going to go with um, Josh Metellus here. I think he can make some big tackles up there, maybe turn turn one of their few passes into a pick. And when Metellus gets a pick, he's known to take it back to the house. So a pick six, a couple tackles for loss, could be a big day for Metellus, especially as he's emerging as the leader of this defense. He is. Him and Hudson are going to be leading the show, and uh, I like both of those picks. I mean, those are your defensive leaders, I think, at this point. Um, unless somebody like Dwum Four comes along or Carlo Kemp or somebody like that. But at this point, you've got to go with the established product. And, yeah, the fact of the matter is, I mean, just the offense that they run, linebackers and safeties are going to be getting a lot of tackles in this. Um, I mean, I like our defensive tackles. I wanted to ask you this. This is a bit off topic, but is the strength of that defensive line D-tackle or is it D-end secretly because Uche's moved to linebacker? Where is the, the sneaky point of depth on that on that line? I'm thinking if Dwumfor is healthy, it might be defensive tackles. Yeah, let's see. Defensive tackles, you have Kemp, Dwumfor, um, Maisie Smith. Maisie Smith, Ben Ojabba. Mason, but the, those are two freshmen. Then Ben Mason, Philip Paella, and Mason. Yeah. So it's like that's there. Then on the outside, you have uh, Hutchinson, and Aiden Pei. Hutchinson, Quiddy Pay, Mike, 
Mike Dana. Mike Dana, who is often forgot. I mean, we'll see. We'll see about Dana. Um, and then Luigi Villain. That's your depth there. So it's kind of the same. I, I, it's it's difficult to say which position, like which part of the line is strongest. Yeah, Dana can swing things if he's Dana, like easily. If, if he's elite, that that can swing it. But yeah, I'm with you. It's a lot closer than people think because both sides are pretty injury prone, and people with the most reps out there are uh, Carlo Kemp has more among anybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you get four sacks out of Dana, I think that it was a worthy pickup and it could swing things. You don't even need to have a 10-sack season. But if he gets four to six sacks, Dana's a big boost for us. Yeah, if he comes off the edge, he's like a Brandon Graham or something. Oh, my God. I mean, that could change the season. Change the whole, yeah, change the whole season. I mean, if Dana hits and he's that good, Brandon Graham good's a little ridiculous. The guy's an all-pro Super Bowl champion. One of the best defensive ends at in Michigan history. But, uh, I mean, if he can even be like say taco charlton good four and a half sacks like something five and a half sacks something like that that'll that'll improve the defense a great deal it adds depth i mean we need it yeah just a, a little something else just it's that's such a wild card that we keep for everybody keeps forgetting about it's like this is a big time get and i love that it's going under the radar i like it as well and hopefully this one hits i mean we've had, we've had some hit or miss results with transfers in the past but this is one i think we're all excited about so um, that being said, all right, I like the predictions. I think we're both kind of seeing this game the same. There is upset potential here. I don't see it happening, but a game that, like you said, we have to have. If you start out one and one with a loss to Army, what are your prospects looking like for Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan State, at Nebraska, which is going to be another challenge this year? So the only good is, thing is it would be non-conference at least. It would be non-conference, and you can recover from that, but at the same time, like... What does it do for your confidence? What does it do? For, I mean, I don't know. You can rebound from an early season loss. You absolutely can. It wouldn't end the season. But if you're losing to Army week two at home, I don't know, people. We might need to uh, we might need to batten down the hatches for a long season. <laughs> yeah, it could be a long one. But I remember last year we were a little nervous after the uh, Notre Dame loss coming home to play Western Michigan and uh, SMU and. Just easily 49 to 3, 45 to 20, 56 to 10 over Nebraska. Granted, it's going to be a different Nebraska team this year. Oh, yeah. But it still felt great to kick Scott Frost's ass like that. We were at that game. But, sure were. So Michigan has known to take care of business against teams they're supposed to take care of business against in the hardball era. Yes, that is very true. So, I mean, one thing we haven't had happen a lot of, I mean, we're 1-14 in 14 since 2012 against top 15 teams. That was making its way around Twitter today. That was tough to stomach. But we have, under Harbaugh, great point, handled the teams we're supposed to handle. We should handle Army. Um, they just got to be prepared. And this staff is very good at getting their guys prepared. Get these guys, you know, coached up. Get them in the film room. Make sure they know what to expect. Stay disciplined. Uh, God, it'd be nice to have Chase Winovich here, one of the most disciplined edge players I've ever seen at Michigan. Just, I mean, he could set the edge. I mean, he knew when to attack and, and when to hold his position. He was excellent at that. So big shoes to fill. That being said, like, also a great opportunity. I mean, if you come in there and you, you look good against Army, that could start building some confidence towards something bigger. Yeah, and this is a great time of the year to have them not just as the second game or anything like that outside of that michigan has two bye weeks this year and there's a bye week after this game so there's no sense of like looking ahead to the next game which is at wisconsin we're not looking at camp randall or anything like that no jonathan taylor film yet we're going to just take care of business of middle tennessee 
Army at home, then you get a week to focus for Wisconsin. And I think that's going to be huge. Just no, not even the slightest chance of looking ahead. Yeah, whereas last year's schedule was one of the most ridiculous things we've ever looked at, this year's schedule sets up a little nicer. It's no cakewalk by any stretch, and I mean, Army's not an easy out-of-conference opponent, but it's not Notre Dame at night, you know, in you know in uh, South Bend, you know. So this is this is a much better way for this season to kick off. Let these guys get some get their feet under them. Some guys like Christian Turner get going. A lot of guys on the defense. God, we need a lot of reps. These reps in these games, not only do we need to win them, we need to get valuable reps for guys that are going to be counted on throughout this season. And players are going to emerge in these first two games. They always do. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. It's always nice to see guys emerge, and uh, hopefully we see them. Yeah, and um, the second bye week comes right before Michigan State. Perfect. I can't fucking wait for that one at home. We might have to yep. go to that one, brother. It's two weeks before. It's two, two weeks before. Yep, two weeks before Ohio State. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could always set up a GoFundMe for our listeners to send us there, and we'll live podcast it. Or we could have them pay Jose Canseco to go look for Bigfoot for us, and we could live podcast that. So we have some options. Either one would be entertaining. Yeah, this is actual thing. Like, we're not making this up. Like, you can pay Jose Canseco to do this. Yeah. I mean, you could do that. If you can find him and, like, passed out in the back of his Toyota Tercel, wherever he's at, like, he'll go into the woods with you. Will you emerge? I have no idea. It'd be a f- fantastic podcast, and I'm here for it. Yeah, it's part of the ride, though. You know, not knowing the end. You know, the, the destination or the journey is the destination or whatever that is. That's no. what they always say about going in the woods with Jose Canseco. <laughs> Well, we're just going to fuck off, do some PCP in the woods with Jose Canseco, head into the Pacific Northwest. I don't know where this is going. We'll be back. I'm out of the blue. <laughs> just please elaborate on all the times you and Mark McGuire shot up in the late 80s. I just need to hear about all of these. That's all I want to know about Jose Canseco. Jose, are you awake? Jose? <laughs> Jose, Jose's been passed out for 11 hours. <laughs> Podcast is running dry material. Jose hasn't woken up yet. Uh, Andy did check his pulse. He is alive. <laughs> he is alive. Yeah, his, but his blood tested positive for um, <laughs> Marlboro Reds and light beer, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a horse tranquilizer that's been outlawed since '79. So <laughs> he is resourceful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I don't know if that's a good transition, but it is a transition to our entertainment segment for the night. And uh, after talking about Army, you know, I'm a, I'm a veteran myself, and uh, I have a lot of respect for the service academies. These dudes, like, they're not going to the NFL. After they're done, they're going to go serve our country. Got a ton of respect for them. But we want to talk about war movies because of that. And I'm a big war movie guy. It's kind of a genre that's gone to the wayside a little bit back in the 50s and 60s. You know, that was the, that was the way to go. There's some great ones. But we want to talk war movies from more our generation, more our, our listeners. I can't imagine we have a lot of 90-year-old po- podcast listeners, but shit, I don't know. Maybe we do. If we do, I respect you. I respect you. First of all, for living this long. And second of all, what was it like to ride the trolley for a nickel? <laughs> How was it when the Model T came around? <laughs> Herbert Hoover, does he get a bad reputation? Expand on it. <laughs> the Wells Fargo wagon, what was in it? <laughs> <laughs> But tonight we're talking war movies post-Platoon, which was 86. I was born in 87, so we're kind of starting, you know, our generation. We're technically part of the same generation, even though I'm a bit of an old fuck, but what are you going to do? It's all good. We still love you. Thank you. 
that means a lot to me. Uh, that that would be ageism if you didn't. So let's <laughs> let's refrain from that. People uh, people have lost their jobs for less. But uh, so we're just gonna kind of do like a general discussion here. Some of the best war movies that have come out since then, um, and what makes them a good movie. Do you want to start us off, my friend? I will start us off. Um, going a little world history here. First one came out in 1995. Best Picture winner, Braveheart for a war movie. Just peak Mel Gibson, directing, producing, starring, giving great speeches, kind of in a Scottish accent. It's fantastic. The blue paint, the scenes, the dialogue, it's a classic. I mean, you don't always have like an entire afternoon to watch a movie, but if you do, slip on Braveheart. Yeah, it's not one you're going to turn off if it's on. Um, I recently watched uh, Outlaw King, which should be watched after watching Braveheart, kind of the follow-up to that story of um, you know William Wallace's um, rebellion, followed up by Robert the Bruce's actual like succession to the, the King of Scotland. It's a very interesting story. It's well told. Mel Gibson, like, I love you. I always have. Like, give me a break, man. It's beautiful. It's, uh, it's a movie that, like, as a kid, too, Always got me fired up because it was hella violent. And uh, now I appreciate it more as an actual film. It's very well done. Mel Gibson may be a, a raging racist bastard, but man, can he make a movie. He knows, yeah. you know, Matt Memon knows a thing or two about plot development. <laughs> he may be out on the Holocaust, but he's definitely in on good narratives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, weigh the good with the bad. All right, your pick, sir. Great choice, great choice. And I like that you didn't go with a traditional war movie there. You went with the Scottish Rebellion, which was like in the 1500s or some shit like that. Uh, I'm going to go with a more traditional one. I'm going to start it off with the obvious one, and I'm going to go Saving Private Ryan. Definitely the best war movie since Platoon came out. Maybe the best war movie of all time. Uh, the opening scene of the landing on the beach in Normandy is probably the best sequence ever filmed in World War II or war history. I mean, honestly, maybe in cinematic history. It's it's in the top ten. It's that good. Uh, the cast is loaded. You got guys like Vin Diesel and Barry Pepper throwing fire. Give me a fucking break. Matt Damon comes in at the end. You cry. Every dude cries. He was on our guy cry list. It's the best war movie since Platoon. Yeah, Tom Hanks really got uh, screwed out of an Oscar for this one, too. I mean, he's just impeccable. The film got screwed out of an Oscar. This is this will go down as the greatest Oscar upset of all time because it was uh, Shakespeare in Love that beat this out. And while a fine movie, nowhere on the level of Saving Private Ryan. I mean, we ride pretty hard for Judy Dench on this podcast. I we mean, do. We are pro-Judy Dench podcast. Yeah. Let it, don't be mistaken. <laughs> But no, Saving Private Ryan definitely should have won. Um, great movie. The first time I saw it, it's one of those where you just like it sticks with you for hours after, oh, yeah. and you're thinking about it. Yeah, like, absolutely, oh. man. Especially that opening scene on Normandy. You're like, oh, so people were just signing up to do this, and these are our grandparents and their their kin and their peers. Like, it's crazy to think about. Greatest Generation. That shit just isn't made up. And uh, yeah, Saving Private Ryan. Your turn. Hit me. All right, I'm going to stay a little off the wall here, and I'm going to go with a historical fiction, um, Inglorious Bastards. Ooh. Another one for you, sneaking it right in there, it, right in the middle of World War II, just some excellent Brad Pitt killing Nazis. Um, the whole scene in the bar when they have the reveal that uh, Michael Fassbender is indeed you know, undercover, not German. Oh, man, just all of that. Movie is excellent. I mean, obviously, don't watch it for historical accuracy. But if you want to see like Hitler get blown up in a movie theater, 
Tune in. Yeah, I think he gets shot like 40 times in the face. It's pretty wonderful. By Eli Roth. Yeah, yeah, good for him. Yeah, good for you, Eli Roth. You make some <laughs> truly terrible movies, uh, but you get to satisfy your bloodlust, you psychopath. <laughs> he just beat a guy to death with a baseball bat, too. Sure does, the Jew Bear, yeah. It is a great movie, and it's a very enjoyable movie. I'm not going to argue with you because it's very clearly taking place in World War II, centered around World War II. Not any real battle sequences and fiction. So you're, you're towing the line, but I'm not mad about it. Give me Hugo Stiglitz all day. Hugo Stiglitz. Oh, exactly. So Him good. alone. He's a war movie in and of himself. He really is. And the movie honestly gets better with rewatches, so I'll, I'll allow Open it. The scene with Christoph Waltz is unbelievable. It really is. Christoph Waltz, man. Anything he does. Um, okay, so I'll get a little offbeat here as well, and I'm going to go with The Patriot. Another Mel Gibson one, and Mel Gibson has a run of war movies. I mean, there's another one in here, We Were Soldiers, that probably won't make either of our lists, but is, you know, undeniably a decent movie. Yeah. 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 And The Patriot, though, at the time, I mean, I was a young man. And I'm very interested by the Revolutionary War. Still am. I'm a big history guy. And the Revolutionary War is a war we should not have won. Talk about it. That's the Appalachian State taking down Michigan in their house kind of win. And uh, I was here for it, especially the true story of the Swamp Fox, um, obviously retold for Hollywood. I don't know about any of the shit with Heath Ledger, but fucking Heath Ledger, man, getting killed by Jason Patrick, just one of the all-time villains. Um, the movie's exciting. It gets you invested in the characters. You cry maybe three times throughout the whole movie. It's a good guy cry film. Yep. Um, holds up, too. I rewatched it not too long ago, and I enjoyed every second of it. So, The Patriot. Is Jason Patrick, is he the one that plays General Cornwallis? No, Jason Patrick, or Jason Isaacs, excuse Jason, me. He's okay. the one that plays the asshole villain that kills him, kills his son. You, the, That boy, the boy from the farm, the stupid boy. Nice job on the accent there. I, I like that. Thank you, but, but yeah, Cornwallis is played by uh, Tom Wilkinson. Yeah, he kills that role. Kills Tom. it. Yeah, Tom Wilkinson's incredible. Yeah, it's it's honestly a very loaded cast, too. You get a very young Heath Ledger just being charming and likable as hell. Yeah, that was the first time you really take notice of Heath Ledger doing something a little different than uh, 10 Things I Hate About You, which is a good movie. Great movie. But, yeah, you don't get me wrong, but this was definitely a turn for him. You're like, oh, wow, okay, you can kind of command the screen in a different kind of way. It really did, and that took him to Four Feathers, and then after that, that took him to A Knight's Tale. Kind of kicked off a run for him where I started to notice Heath Ledger. Yeah, when you talked about uh, Mel Gibson's run of war movies, I thought you were going to say uh, uh, what women want for Mel Gibson's war on feminism. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a different war and one that hopefully he, he loses. <laughs> All right, uh, my next pick, I'll go um, a little more traditional here. Um, talking Vietnam War now, not Forrest Gump, um, but talking about one that came out in 87, so it just makes the cutoff. Um, it's almost like two movies. It's Full Metal Jacket. Like, it really feels like it could be two movies and could be really good as like a Netflix series because the first half is all basic training, or sorry, boot camp, and it gets very dark and goes into all that with uh, Private Pile, and then you go into War. And then you have all the imagery and like uh, conscientious, conscientious objection things, and it gets really deep. I mean, it's Stanley Kubrick, so you know it's going to be masterfully done. Um, it's, it gets better on rewatches too, and it does not take a pleasant look at Vietnam. I don't know if any movie does, but um, it's one where the first half you think it's a comedy, and then it just turns up the heat really quick. Yeah, very well described with that one, and I only recently—I mean, 
recently. I was probably 16, but it took me a while to get into that one to finally watch it. And uh, you're absolutely right. It does feel like two movies because you're like, oh, this is kind of like it's closer to Stripes than it is. to, any, And then it becomes Apocalypse Now. And you're like, oh, shit took a turn. <laughs> yeah, it gets really dark really fast. And uh, what I found fascinating was Arlene Ermey, who played uh, the gunnery sergeant in this. I think he was like, was he a gunnery sergeant or just I think he was. Yeah, I think he was. Gun- yeah, gunny. OK, yeah, he's. Uh, all right, so he was only one of two people Stanley Kubrick ever let improvise. That says to what he brought to that role. It was he and the great Peter Sellers in Doctor Strange Love. Wow. Like you just didn't improvise in Stanley Kubrick movies, and uh, he was actually brought on set to just be, you know, the expert there for the Marines because he'd been a Marine, and he's like, "No, do it this way, do it this way." I'm like, no, what? You're just going to be in the movie, and then he became a movie star. That's crazy. Yeah, he absolutely did, and uh, really was in the army, I believe. And yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, he's a marine. Yeah, yeah, marine brought some authenticity to that role, and yeah, it's a good one. Has to be mentioned in this. I mean, we are uh, we're movie buffs. We tend to have a recency bias because you know we're we're younger and we appreciate the the newer movies more. But you cannot leave that one out. So good addition. I will throw another one in there that absolutely has to be discussed and it's often overlooked and it shouldn't be and that is Glory. Uh, Glory is a 1989 movie directed by Edward Zick, same guy that did Blood Diamond. So this is a guy that's been around. He's done some good stuff. Uh, I think he did like Legends of the Fall too, which I really love. Matthew Broderick, Denzel Washington, Carrie Ells, Morgan fucking Freeman. Give me a break, and it tries to tackle a very complicated issue of uh, one of the first all-black regiments and their commitment to the cause. I mean, you're tackling a difficult subject. It's a very serious movie, but incredibly well done. It's a little dated to go back and watch it. A little. It's still very, very good, and you feel the realism of the Civil War and just the, uh, man, the emotional baggage that comes with that war, unlike any other war that the United States has fought in, so... It's very good to see that, and, and it's captured well in glory. Great choice. Um, Denzel's first Oscar, I mean, just shines on the screen. Looks super, super young. Not even peach fuzz. Just a very young Denzel. But um, emotional watch is an understatement. Yes. Like It may feel dated, but the emotion of it doesn't. I think that's what makes a timeless movie. Yep, absolutely. Your turn, sir. Next pick for me, uh, I'm going a little bit off the wall again. I'm going Napoleonic Wars, and I'm going to the sea. Directed by Peter Ware, who also directed Witness with, by, with Harrison Ford, which is fantastic. Um, the Truman Show, Dead Poet Society. But for this one, he turned in Master and Commander with Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany. This movie's fantastic. It's intricately layered, super detailed, beautifully shot. There's a lot of good humorous moments in it the chemistry between the two leads is fantastic it makes russell crowe likable so i mean it just does a lot of good things and he's not like overly much like machizo russell crowe like gladiator but he has it up just enough to where you buy him as a captain of a ship yeah and maybe one of the most overlooked movies that i can think of didn't do well in the theaters for how much it costs to make but a great rewatch uh highly worth highly worthwhile um that actually Makes me think of one that I didn't have on my list, but I'm going to put it as an honorable mention, and that's Kingdom of Heaven, but you have to watch the uncut version of Kingdom of Heaven um, about the Crusades and Liam Neeson, Orlando Bloom, who's meh, but you got Jeremy Irons in it as well. Well cast. Uh, it's Ridley Scott. Watch the uncut version, and you'll see an absolute mastery, absolute mastery, and one of the best um, 
war battle scenes I've ever seen filmed. So that's an honorable mention. Um, Love the Master and Commander pick, though. Um, I've got one that's off the wall, and I want to go with this one, even though like it can't hold up to some of the other ones on my list. But that's a movie from last year. It's Overlord. One of J.J. Abrams produced it, but this movie, it's just it's fun while being dark and gritty. It's a zombie movie inside of a war movie. It's absolutely about a mission, like a real mission that took place um, in in World War II. Uh, maybe not the storming of the scientific laboratory full of zombies. That part, maybe they they exaggerated slightly. But who the hell knows? The Nazis were doing some weird shit. But Overlord, if you haven't seen it, is one of the best watches of 2018. They may have taken a few creative liberties with, you know, <laughs> that what happened in World War II. They were Nazis, Andy. <laughs> Great choice. I'm still yet to see it, but you've always, I mean, had a glowing recommendation about this one. Yeah, you'll uh, you'll enjoy that recommendation too. Okay, well, you know, speaking of more recent movies, now I'm going to go with a clearly obvious one, especially if people going to hear us talk about it all the time, and that is the almost oft forgotten masterpiece that is Dunkirk. I mean, just the way the story's woven. Like, I mean, you can nitpick a few things if you want to be a jackass, but it's like enjoy the ride. Like, there are so many good shots. Great Tom Hardy. Uh, great Harry Styles, by the way. Right? Yeah, I mean, just delivers. Um, the opening sequences, um, the score might be the best thing of all. It really is, and it's a movie where you don't necessarily look at the cast for what the cast did. Uh, the cast is fine, but they're honestly players in the story. It's how they wove the narrative, and with some of the most incredible visual sequences I've ever seen. The dogfighting, there is no better dogfighting in any movie. I'm sorry. Um, and as you say that, you mean aerial combat. The aerial combat, yes, correct. <laughs> Let's specify, Jason. <laughs> the Michael Vick documentary has some incredible dogfighting, but that's a different category. <laughs> yes, uh, no, that was incredible. Um, as a Navy man myself, the sequence of the um, hospital ship getting torpedoed gives me knots in my stomach. Um just the urgency of that film. The pacing of that film is unlike any other war movie. There's not a moment where you feel like, okay, now we're going to get some character development. It is, this is a week, a day, and an hour condensed, which is also really unique, the way they did the timelines, and it just shows you how tense this situation was. There's not a moment of reprieve. It's brilliant. Uh, it, I, I wanted to talk about this one. Uh, I wanted to list it myself. I'm happy you did. It's got to be on the list. It is a phenomenal movie. Um, you talk about how it is more about the narrative, but um, Kenneth Brownell steals every, he just crushes this role. Mike could be one of his best performances. Kenneth Branagh though, like you give him an inch, that man's going to make a mile of it. I mean, he is Dr. Arliss Loveless from Wild Wild West. Say no more. <laughs> you got another one for me? I got one more. Um, I'm way higher on Dunkirk than on this one, but this was a movie that was well cast um, it's recent. It took a different approach to a war movie. It put us in a tank crew, which I'd never really seen before. There might be some older movies that do it, but Fury with Brad Pitt um, is just an excellent movie. Not on the, the level of Dunkirk or Glory or any of these other ones, but a movie that really holds up well. And the the tank fight between the three Shermans and it's... We were debating if it's against the one Panzer or against the Tiger, um, but a vastly superior German machine, the way that they filmed that and just how the, the the technological advancements of the German army played such a role in those early battles. 
I mean, you feel it, man. You feel the tension. And I mean, love that tank crew. You got Shia LaBeouf in there as the religious guy. Brad Pitt as the surly commander. Um, you've got my boy um, John Bernthal in there as the country-ass motherfucker from West Virginia. I'm sure you can relate. Uh, and then Michael Pena. Yeah, and then Michael Pena. Just a, a great, great movie that's uh, probably underrated as far as war movies go because, I don't know, it just gets overlooked or maybe it gets looked at as like an action movie but not a war movie, but it's a war movie. Uh, two things from it, it killed it for me. Like, I was with you on a bunch. Some of the strategery in that tank scene kind of threw it off for me. Strategery? Like, yeah, it kind of threw it off. I mean, I'm sorry, that tank would never have gotten close if a tiger or it can, it can outshoot you. I mean, you're not going to get that close. I'm sorry. Uh, but that aside, um, they had a scene where they're like really trying to like dig into like the morality of the war when they're all like, I forget they're in somebody's house there and they're talking to him. that scene sucks. It it's sucks. bad. It is really terrible. It is David Ayer getting way out in front of himself, like trying to make some profound statement. You remove that scene, that movie's 10 times like more likable. It goes on the, too long. Yeah. The end, like it definitely get, plays into like the, um, Willem Dafoe like falling down arms in the air kind of dramatic effect but it kind of misses but for the most part though, I'm with you like if you take out a little of the David Ayerisms, it really does hit in a lot of places Brad Pitt carries a lot of weight um, the cast has good chemistry mm-hmm. John Bernthal is really good um, coming after Dunkirk it definitely does feel like yeah yeah right I'm, for as far as you know modern movies like it's, it's okay. I, Zach Galifianakis on Between Two Ferns kept calling it furry when he interviewed Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah, they did that on this show, New Girl, as well. Um, I, I mean, I agree with most of what you said, especially about that one sequence. However, um, I'm okay with the uh, the tank battle because there was three Shermans against the one. So, I mean, it had to take out the two for their tank to get behind them. So, I'm okay with that. It's possible. It is definitely theoretically possible that one sure or three Shermans against a, a Panzer could take it out. I'm okay with that, but regardless, all I know is that spot where that Panzer died, that's where Julius Welshoff was born. <laughs> he rose from the ashes. And he rose from the ashes. I'm going to sack quarterbacks. Um, one question for you. All right. Um, if you, one movie pre-1987. One war movie. Just give me one. What would you go with? Man, that's tough. I'll give you three, and then I'll give you my answer because I have to think through it. Force 10 from Navarone. It was the first one I ever saw. It's an early, early Harrison Ford movie. It's nowhere near the other ones, um, but I have seen um, A Bridge Too Far, and I have seen Torah, Torah, Torah. And those are three big ones, but there's some other. I mean, there's some The Dirty Dozen. I don't know if that's based on a true story or not, but I've never seen that. Um, there's a lot of war movies that I haven't seen. Of those three I would say that Tora 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 was probably the best one because Pearl Harbor was a piece of garbage that got Michael Bade all the he- all to hell. So we watched Tora 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 after that came out, and I was like, okay, this is this is really well done, and it and it tells the story in a better way. But a bridge too far has got a loaded cast: Michael Caine, Anthony Hopkins. That's a good one too. Love me some Michael Caine. Um, <laughs> Not bad. That wasn't bad. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, no, the Dirty Dozen uh, definitely counts. Dirty Dozen's fantastic. Uh, early Donald Sutherland. Um, it's a fantastic uh, mention there. I'll go with a couple for you. All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah. Um, probably still the best World War One movie. Um, really, really fantastic. Um, another obvious one, um, Apocalypse Now. <laughs> an obvious I mean, one? That's not I mean, even a war. That wasn't a war. That was an invasion. 
Uh, yeah, exactly. But still, I mean, come on, you get what I'm saying here. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm counting. Apocalypse. Look, I'll talk apocalypse or apocalypto anytime you want, but apocalypse now. Oh, apocalypse now. Yeah, I'm like that's a war movie. I'm like, what are you talking about? I thought you meant apocalypse. We were talking about apocalypto earlier. I'm sorry. I've had six Montucky cold snacks. Have Montucky cold snacks. They'll get you drunk. This guy. Uh, that uh, that's one. Um, Kelly's Heroes, another good one. Um, but I'm probably going to go with one I watched recently. Uh, it was called Where Eagles Dare. It wasn't the best one of all of these, but it's really enjoyable. Super early Clint Eastwood. Um, it's fantastic watch. Some of these early war movies you touched on at the beginning of the segment. Uh, war movies and westerns have kind of phased out to become superhero movies, but um, definitely a genre you should not forget about. No, absolutely not. And I mean, it makes sense. They were bigger in the 60s. These people lived through this in the 50s, you know, like they... It's what that was on their mind. They hadn't forgotten about it. It was a big part of the uh, of the movie lexicon. Less so nowadays, but at the same time, like I appreciate a really good one. I mean, there's been some ones that we didn't touch on, like Hacksaw Ridge and Flags of Our Fathers, which I haven't even seen. So they're definitely still coming out, but it just doesn't seem like there's the really big like Dunkirk was a was a big one, but it didn't do like Saving Private Ryan numbers. Like it seems yeah. like with every year that passes, the World War II movie gets to be less of a of a draw. Yeah, that's what it feels like. I mean, I don't really know of a filmmaker I'd want to do a war movie right now. Like it's, you can't really pick one. I mean, Nolan I mean, was the last one I would want to see do one. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's not going to come off like cheesy or anything. I mean, we could put somebody in charge of one and just have it be entertaining, but it's not going to have, like, the emotional depth or anything. It's like, all right, Edgar Wright, like, give it a go. Like, <laughs> this isn't your genre, but give it a shot. Yeah, here you go. Take, take the keys and let's see where we end up. Yeah, I mean, like you were saying uh, off air, we've got the Midway one coming from Roland Emmerich, who did Independence Day, so... I mean, fuck it, throw Jeff Goldblum in there if you can, and I'll watch it, but that, that seems a little off-key. Please, the closest to we're getting to like big-time war movies now is Infinity War. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, after Infinity War, it's difficult for me to get excited about movies anymore. I probably won't be excited for a movie like that again for maybe ever. We'll see. I am excited for the next Scorsese. I, that, I'm excited I mean, for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Those are the next ones. Excited for those, but... Uh, Anyway, man, any uh, any final thoughts on anything we've talked about tonight? Not much. Uh, sound off. What you think is going to happen with the offense? Chris Evans, your favorite war movies, uh, ones we haven't touched on, like the Bridge of River Kwai, other ones that are your favorites, ones you hate, like Pearl Harbor. Let us know. Absolutely, yeah. This is all about the discussion, and uh, none of you assholes have reached out to us yet, so let's get on that. Uh, also would like to give a special shout out to my best friend going back to, shit, we were 10 years old. Wes Anderson does all the music for our podcast. We'll be having him on to talk, uh, scores here, movie scores at some point here this summer. I haven't even talked about it with him, but I just volunteered him. Yeah, he'll tune in. Hopefully he comes in with some spicy sports takes too, like... You know what? Um, Ron Harper should be getting Jordan's minutes or something like that. Zach Charbonnet is already better than Terrell Davis. Convince me otherwise. Yeah, change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us on Out of the Blue. That's Andy. I'm Jared reminding you that wherever you go, go blue. <laughs>